there's two things of real estate. You can either have a life that is involved in real estate or have a life that is supported by real estate. Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. My name is Kerwin Donis. My brothers and I got into real estate investing to achieve financial freedom and help underserved communities in Guatemala, where our mom is from. Real estate is the vehicle we're taking to achieve our goals. And you can too. On this show, we share the stories of some of the most successful real estate investors to show you that you can succeed in real estate just like they have. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. Let's go. Gary Spencer Smith was originally born in the UK and served in the Royal Navy for nearly 11 years all over the world. In 2009, Gary started two companies, one doing team building and leadership skill development called West Coast Slam, and the second which has now morphed into Alberni Valley Rental House Profits Inc. and operates under the brand Revenue. Both businesses have won multiple awards. More recently, Gary won from Rain the Innovator Investor of the Year and the Joint Venturer of the Year. As mentioned, before Gary got into real estate, he was in the Navy. During this time, he got a global perspective on the world, business, and life. I think everybody needs to travel this world just to get a perspective on, on what's really going on. You know, we, we get so stuck up in, especially, you know, being English, there was this Britannia rules the waves, there's this mentality of, you know, British is best and that's not proper and all, which is a load of BS, really, when you start to travel the world and see and, you know, you see how some people live and what we perceive as, I don't want to say poverty, but as a, a, a you know, a, a less affluent lifestyle, you see happier people. And it's like, okay, what are we doing wrong within this situation that we are not happy? And I think anyone can attest that when they go on holiday to somewhere and do very little, you know, they're just, just eating food, they're just sitting on the beach, they're having a happy lifestyle for the most part. So why do we then leave those two weeks of happiness and go back to this, you know, you've heard it saying the rat race and we, we live amongst that and we're told that we must be in this and we've got to have the latest car, we've got to have the latest thing to, to have a life and, and we really don't. So it's yeah. not that that's bad if we have them, but, you know, I, I think definitely seeing the world open my eyes to what is possible. And I also saw the other side of that, you know, the, the uber affluent and realizing that, wow, this kind of stuff really goes on. It's not just, you know, I've had uh, dinners through the military with like the princes of Kuwait and stuff like that. So I've been not literally at the head table, but, you know, in, in the functions and you're just like, wow, the, the money, the wealth. And it opened my eyes to, there's an infinite abundance in, on this planet, not just, and it's not about money, you know, there's an infinite, there's an abundance of foods and abundance, despite what everyone tells us. So absolutely, yeah, that abundance and that scarcity mentality and, and give me a picture where I want to be within that. When Gary was 21, his father passed away. He received enough money to put a down payment on his first property. And that's what he did. I was 21 when my dad passed away and, and I didn't, I wasn't left like a, a golden spoon but it was just enough to put a down payment on a house. I mean, houses, you know, were going back into 99 where they weren't that much. It was like 60,000 for, for a property. So, you know, I think I had to put like 8,000 down, which, which was roughly around what I had. And I remember my mom saying, just don't waste it, just buy a house and then you'll be able to. So I don't know where she got taught that from, but that was just something that was put into me at that age. So I bought the first house. And when I was moving down to the South of England, um, my wife at the time, she was like, I don't want to do rentals. My dad had rentals and they're a pain in the butt, even though he'd had a great life from them. So we ended up selling that house. And it was one of those hindsight decisions 
that I was like, we should have just kept it as a rental. Even if we'd rented where we moved to and kept that as a rental, the, the math just made sense. And I've got a very engineering type brain. It's kind of how it functions. So I was just like, when I left the military, I kept the house on the South Coast, which was a more expensive you know, market. And then I rented where we moved to for work. So I, I was $50, $50 a month better off. So there was no crazy numbers. It just, it was literally numbers made sense, $50. And that was a, you know, a chunk of money back then. So that was what started me in real estate. And then really, you know, like a lot of people's journey, you, I had the vision, and I don't know where this came from, of maybe getting two, three rentals over my whole lifetime, single family homes. And then when I retire, military pension, three houses paid off, that would be an okay, okay standard of living. Yeah. And then uh, got involved with some friends, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, realized that my mindset was right because now someone else is going, no, this is the right mindset. It's like, See, I was thinking correctly, but you, you know, you don't have that mentor, that guide. Um, and I was like 30 when I read this. So it's not like, you know, I, I see someone like yourself doing it at a young age. I'm like, dude, this is like amazing. Like, I'm so impressed when I see young people actually taking action in this. And uh, I think that book should be given to people as they're leaving school, just, just for the mindset around it. Because it's the whole, you know, thing of why go and get into debt to own a vehicle when you can go buy a property and use the money off the property to buy the vehicle. Like it just makes sense buying appreciating asset to get a depreciating. So once that sense made me in my mind, that's when I started getting into real estate. You know, you do the courses, do the programs. And I went down that whole path of chasing, I guess would be the better word I'd use at the start. Definitely chasing real estate. You are the sum of the people you surround yourself with. Gary has learned over time that the mindset of the people around him can hurt or help him achieve his goals. I think it's it's vitally important that the people you surround yourself with have the mindset of what you're trying to achieve. If you want to start a business, if you want to get into real estate, it's no good being around people who've never done it because all you're going to get is their opinions about it. And I, I'm a, a great, you know, how, how opinions can, can make a difference. There was someone else started the real estate journey education at the exact same time I did, but I took action. He didn't. I'm now in a different position. He's pretty much in the same position in life. And I spoke to him, you know, maybe six months, a year ago. And, and now his whole mentality is, well, you know, I'm happy with what I've got now and I've changed. And he, he gave up on his dreams. And it was sad to see that. So I think um, whereas I started surrounding myself with people who are actively doing real estate, who are actively owning businesses and just the, the golden nuggets, you know, which you get just from surrounding yourself with those right people. So avoid the negativity. And, you know, that could be, your spouses, that could be, and I'm not saying get rid of your spouses, but make sure that in your top five people, they are people that are doing what you want to do. And that was something that took me a few years to get past. You know, it was, I was, I was fighting my own uphill battle and I was throwing myself with the same people. But once I changed that, who I'm around, life changed. If you want to get into real estate, there are so many free resources available to you, but it's easy to get overwhelmed or stuck on this education step. Gary advises newer investors to avoid this trap. The beauty with now is there is, uh, I think the beauty and, and the, the negative is there is so much information out there that is accessible for free initially. You know, you've got podcasts like yourself, there's other podcasts, there's books, there's YouTube channels, there's all this stuff available. And sometimes people get stuck trying to gather too much information. My biggest tip would be get some a few pieces of information and then take action on it. And that action might be having a conversation with someone that finds someone who's done that and then get their experience on it. Someone who's done it successfully. Sorry, I shouldn't clarify on that. That's someone who tried it and messed it up. Um, 
And then the next step of the journey after you've got those, you know, I guess a little bit of information is go and get into a network of people. You can, there's meetup.com, there's local real estate groups that go join those kind of groups and don't talk. Just listen to what the people are saying, you know, ask questions, but listen to what they're saying. Don't try and step into that room and be the expert. Just and absorb everything that you can from them. And then keep taking a step of action towards doing something. You know, set some realistic targets. You know, by the end of the year, I'd like to purchase a, a property. 12 months is a long time to purchase a piece of real estate. Um, and then once you've got a certain level of knowledge, it's worth paying to get some education. You know, for us, we would go on there. And there's lots of programs. They operate like this. You go to the free seminar. They sell you on the weekend seminar for 500, 1,000 bucks, which is always worth the money. I still go to those now today. I'll still go and pay the 500 bucks, the 1,000 bucks, even though I'm, because I'm, I enjoy it. I enjoy being around those people. And I'm always going to pick up one or two little things that I'm like, wow, that's a great idea. I'm going I'm to steal that and implement it in, in my own business. Um, and then as you progress, then you'll start to pay more, just like you would if you were an athlete. I, you know, I'm very, I relate it to athletics a lot. You might read about the sport. At some point, you got to go get on the field and do the sport. Then you might get the local coach, you know, who's someone's dad, who's done it, played, you know, whatever, at a decent level locally. And then as you start to become more professional, you're going to pay more for your coaches as you go through. It's the same in real estate. You know, any professional athlete, they pay tens of thousands of dollars for their coaches every month. And it's the same in real estate. But you have to be getting the value out of that. Don't jump ahead and go pay $20,000, $30,000 for a coach when you're just learning how to calculate ROI, I feel that's a waste of money. You know, it's, there are other resources you can tap into on that journey. Just make sure you're at the right level as you go through. After moving to Canada, Gary purchased a townhome. This property had equity and this led Gary to structuring his very first joint venture. So my first, what I would class as the, the light bulb moment was I'd, I'd moved to Canada. I'd managed to pull some equity out of my house and I'd bought a little townhome. You know, it was in a strata development. Um, it was managing, it was making like 50 bucks cash flow a month. So nothing special. And in my mind, over the next 15 years, that would pay down the mortgage and I would use that for my kids' education. So instead of saving in another account that hopefully makes some money, I'm now, I know I'm going to pay the mortgage down and then I would have had that available. That was my mindset on that first property. Well, a year after I'd bought it, I was going back to the UK for a family Christmas. And, you know, at, at the time I was a tradesperson in an okay money you know, the family, two kids, but I, we just emigrated. So money wasn't very um, affluent at the time. So I was like, how do I pull some equity out of this house? It had gone up a little bit. So I approached my cousin who was looking for a second house and said, look, I already own this house. You don't have to qualify for the mortgage. How about if you give me the equity that I've got in the house, which is 20 grand at the time, I said, I will, if it sells tomorrow, you get your 20 grand back and we'll split any profit 50-50 after that. So he was, and I didn't know what a joint venture was. This just made sense to me in my head. And it made sense to him. I was just solving a problem he had, solving a problem I had. So he wrote me the check and uh, I was on the plane. And then I was learning about ROI at this time. <laughs> so I'm reading the book and I'm like, okay, calculate ROI. So I'm doing the math on what I've done. And we put $6,000 in the year previous to purchase it and got 20 grand back. So it was a 333% return in one year. And I still owned the house. And it was like, ding, okay, how do I multiply this? That makes so much sense to me. I'm like, if I can do... Three of these a year, I'm replacing my entire income. And that deal took me an hour to put together. So that was the light bulb moment that really sent me on the journey. Um, from that, I started joint venturing straight away because I didn't have access to capital. You know, Like I said, I wasn't a big earner. I didn't have access to capital. So I was joint venturing from day one. 
And then what I found was um, raising capital becomes its own business. So I was to raise the capital. I was, I don't want to say promising yet, but I was giving away more than I probably should have of my time, my soul, my energy for the returns I was getting. So at some point, I'm not sure which probably was around six or seven. I was like, okay, I'm not going to manage it for free anymore because I have no time. So I'm going to either outsource the management or I get paid the 10%. It's up to you. And the joint venture partner said, well, I'd rather pay you to manage it than someone else because you have an interest. And that's where the management side grew. And then it was like, oh, here's an income. Here's a business. And it just, it kind of grew from there. A joint venture in real estate is two or more parties that combine resources for a specific development or investment. The parties in a joint venture maintain their own business identity while working together to complete a deal. If you're missing a deal, money, or time, then a joint venture might be a good option for you. Anybody who doesn't have the capital, I, I got a thing called the investment triangle. So in the center of this triangle, imagine triangle, deal is in the center, and on the three sides, you've got knowledge, time, and money. And if you get all three of those triangles, you've got the deal in the middle. So when you're approaching somebody, what are they bringing to the triangle that you do not have? And what are you bringing to the triangle that they do not have? And sometimes you just got to figure out who that is, where that is. There are lots of people earn great money, want to be in real estate, but do not have the time. Think surgeons, doctors, dentists, all these people that are professional, good at what they do, high earners. They don't want to deal with a tenant phoning up saying the toilet's blocked. So if you're willing to take that headache off them, put some skin in the game, which is future profit, you know, because now you have a vested interest in how that performs, not just making sure there's a tenant in there, that has value to them. So what value can you bring to someone else? And then in exchange, they will give you the money to invest in real estate. Um, it's a true value exchange. I always believe that you should be giving more value than what you get in return. And then people will keep coming back and keep coming back. And once you tap into raising capital and joint venturing, it is unlimited to how much capital you can raise. Like I think last year in Canada, there was like 10, 10 billion was given to the next generation down to help them purchase a house. And that was just, you know, people buying a home. So that's the kind of money that's just sitting there. And, you know, I've seen the math before. I don't have it to hand, but it's billions of dollars sitting in equity in people's homes. We're about to go through the largest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind. And largely due to real estate getting passed down from, you know, the baby boomers right down to the next generation. So that is there for people to tap into. So if, if you don't have any money, that should not stop you getting into real estate. But you do have to invest in your knowledge and the value that you're going to bring to that person. Gary's book, The Property Manager Mindset, Reduce Stress, Save Time, Earn More Money, helps investors relieve the stress associated with property management. According to him, it all comes down to a mindset shift that will improve your attitude and increase profit. No, I mean, I'm, I'm gladly say the information. So I got into the property management as a business because literally in the small, I'm in a 20,000 person town and I was phoning around trying to find a manager. And, you know, the, the one that was recommended to me, I think they answered the phone, they're like, hello. And I'm like, okay, that's how they're going to answer to my client. That's not who I want. So I, um, I just started managing myself just out of necessity. And then it became a business and then more people realized I was good at it. So they would start asking me to manage their properties we got to about 60 properties. And I was a member of various groups because anything you're doing, you should be a member of groups and organizations so you can stay on, you know, master your craft. Whatever it is that you do, be part of that so, so you can always be on top of what's going on. And I was seeing the same answers over and over and over to people and the same questions. So I actually put together a PDF 
that I would just share. You know, here's a PDF, share, share, share. And someone turned around to me and said, you should make that into a book. So we actually said, okay, you know what? We'll put a book out there. Um, you know, and, and anyone who knows, you're not writing a book to make millions. You know, it's, that's not what it's about. It's about sharing of that information just so you don't have to keep repeating yourself. So we wrote the book. I think um, two of the, I'll give you three good nuggets. So the best one is whatever type of tenant you want to deal with, make sure you're buying that house in that area. It's no good buying, you know, a great house in a crappy area or a crappy house in a, in a great area if that's not the tenant you want to deal with. A lot of people will buy, you know, a single family home and then want to rent it to students and it's not near the university or vice versa. You know, it's to so be when you're doing tenant profiling, that starts with the purchase of the property. Make sure that you are grading your property correctly is the next thing. So we grade our properties A, B and C, and then we grade our tenant based on their profile A, B and C. So, yes, we judge people um, and you should, too, if, if you're getting into houses because you're giving people typically, you know, anywhere up to a few million dollars of real estate. To, to look after for you. So if you were going to hand a bag of money over to somebody, would you not judge them first? And, you know, right or wrong, um, that's, that's how we've done our business successfully. And for judging people, it's things like, how do they answer the adverts? What are they like when you communicate with them? How do they show up? Are they polite? Are they, and each one gets, a, we've got a point system in the book and we explain the point system. And then at the end, it's a number of points that they get awarded based on the answers and their actions. And now it takes emotion out of it. Because you will always hear people giving you the sob stories like, oh, my dog died, uh, you know, and I've, I've got my four kids and we haven't eaten in three days and we just need a roof over our head or whatever the story is that's coming out. And we are humans, so we react to emotion. So you've got to be able to remove that emotion right out of any decision-making process. And then you'll end up matching things. And um, the other thing is don't rush into a property. Like with a tenant, don't just put a tenant in. You are better off being empty for three months versus putting the wrong tenant in for two months. And it just costs you a lot more money. Someone told me that at the start. And when people buy properties, they get desperate because they're carrying both. So make sure when you're doing your initial, initial property purchasing, you don't get to that desperate stage. Make sure there's enough funds sitting there so it allows you to operate on a different mentality. Um, another one is when... When you're selecting your tenants or you're dealing with a conflict, sorry, let's go to dealing with conflict. That's a good one. If you're a person who cannot deal with conflict, outsource that relationship. Now, even if I own the property, I don't own the property when I'm speaking to the tenants. There is always a higher authority that I have to refer to for a decision to be made. Now, some people know that I own the properties, but they believe that I part own the properties, which is true because I have a joint venture partner. So I will go to the car and I'll be like, yeah, oh yeah, they want to do that. Oh, okay. And then I'll go back to, sorry, they said, no, I'm totally on your side, but what can I do here? And it stops confrontation. You never want to get to that confrontation point. You teach tenants how to treat you as well. If they're speaking to you a certain way on the phone, hang the phone up. You have the ability just to go, blip. and when they call back, you're like, I will speak to you when you are calm, hang up again. Don't be afraid to just hang up on that person. Um, and everywhere has local rules, like laws, you know, which are written in, I was is the residential tenancy branch here in BC. Every state has them. Know those laws inside out. Like you should not be putting a tenant in unless you have read those laws. And usually, you know, it's a book maybe about this thick. Take the time because you'd be amazed at the things that will save you time and money. And once you know that book, it actually gives you power to the tenant. We had a tenant, you know, the old aluminum windows where they get a bit moldy because people don't wipe them down. A tenant complained that we have to go in and clean it. And I looked in the Tenancy Act because I was pretty sure I'd read about it. 
and the tenant is responsible for cleaning them and wiping them down. So we took the, we went and got it cleaned anyway, just to show good faith. But then we showed her the act saying, you are responsible for wiping these down. You have to wipe this down every week. Here's how you, you know, mitigate. And we love research to give her how to mitigate moisture in a house and stuff like that. And we're like, these are the steps you need to take as a tenant. And it's funny though, because the property management company, we recently just sold it. <laughs> so we built that business up to a point. Then the staff who work for us, they purchased the prop, the company from us. So we wrote the book, we did a load of interviews about it, and then the opportunity came along for the resort. And it was just which business is the one where I want to spend my time. Real estate operating cycles vary the same way an economic cycle does. According to Gary, investors should consider how many cycles they have left in their life, determine where they are in the current market, and act accordingly. So the uh, real estate operates in cycles, just like the markets do, you know, prices go up, prices go down, prices flatten out, and that'll depend on what we call drivers and influencers. So drivers in a market are job growth, GDP growth, population growth. You know, if you look at an area where all of a sudden there's this big job creation, then people go to that market for the jobs. Well, then if they go to that market, but there's only so many houses, that puts a demand on the rentals. When there's a demand, rental prices go up. When rental prices go up, sale prices then go up following that. And it's a cycle. And vice versa. If jobs start to disappear and populations start to shrink, then the, price, the demand on rentals goes down. So the value will either be stagnate or start to drop. You can look up statistics from any government or city of what's happening with the population and what's happening with the jobs. That should be your two main ones before you do anything about thinking about investing in an area. Um, now, the other part of the, their drivers, but you also have influencers. So we've just went through the biggest influencer in history, like, you know, in, in our history anyway, in, in recent times is COVID-19. So how has that affected markets? And it depends on the market that you're in as to what's went on. For us, it created a huge demand in our local market because people got priced out of other markets and then they just came down to our market. So we had a supply and demand issue um, which drove the prices up and people were overpaying for prices. So where it was in the cycle, I saw it at a peak with nowhere else to go. So we actually sold a couple of properties because we thought, hey, now's a great time to sell. And then, and people were overpaying for what they were getting based on the rents that were happening. And we had no job growth, no population growth. So there was no drivers in our market. It was purely an influencer and influencers disappear just like that. At that time, that's when you'll see these, you know, bounces up and down. Well, then we had an announcement that a local company is spending a billion dollars building 2,800 more homes. The city went and purchased an old waterfront um, industrial lot, which is now going to change to commercial waterfront apartments. And our population is going to grow within the next five to seven years at 25%. So now I sold it here, but now I'm buying back in here. But that's because the market drivers are here and it's going to go up again. So I don't mind. And everyone's going, well, why didn't you hang on? I'm like, because the drivers were not there. Now I'm paying today what my after repair value was on houses five years ago for like, you know, a, a POS that's a teardown. So, but I'm okay doing that because the drivers are there. So it's understanding what's happening in the cycle. And it's not about the money that you pay for something. It's the value you can create over time, but you have to have market drivers. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so that's how it, and cycles are typically five to seven years in a normal market. So you'll see that happen. So, and that's because people are tied into mortgages. By the time mortgages renew, that's when cycles change. You know, if we see a big drop in the um, interest rates going down, which COVID-19 did certainly for us here up, up north, um, now loads of people just locked in for the next five years. So now you've got another five-year cycle of people carrying these mortgages for a certain amount of time. 
So yeah, that's how the cycle affects that one. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And briefly, could you maybe uh, discuss where you think we are right now in the cycle? And because um, you said the typical one is five to seven years. Is that, do you think we're on that timeline or is it a little longer? Or where, what stage are we um, in? No, I think we're on that timeline, but the cycle is different in each individual market. So you could be in a up cycle in one market and the next town over or the next city over that has a you know job growth, population growth, they're in an up cycle. So I know here in, in BC, we had the, largest private investment which was in lng which is a huge energy you know sector and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars were created and it was like billions of dollars this project so all these little towns that were up northern canada and you know we're talking the cold the igloos that you know a lot of people imagine canada to be these places where you wouldn't want to go live are now hot hot markets because they've got massive drivers just pushing those prices through the roof and um, my local market is now where I thought it had peaked. It's now, and I thought it would, you know, plateau a bit. Now it's going to go for the next four or five years, but only because of the driver. So you got to understand locally where you are in your cycle because the average house price is not a true statement. Because the average house price in the US or the average house price in Canada or the average house price in the UK, you don't buy an average house in an average town in an average place. You buy a very specific house in a very specific street, in a very specific town. So you've really got to delve into local knowledge. And if you don't know that knowledge, find somebody, because there will be somebody who's investing in that town that will be able to give you those numbers. There's, yeah. there's always somebody done it somewhere. We're not inventing the wheel here. So it's tying into those people. As he mentioned, Gary sold his property management company to focus on his holiday resort. He has an interesting story of how he came about discovering the holiday resort and how he identified it as a good investment opportunity. So I came on a holiday to this lake called Sprout Lake, which is on Vancouver Island. Beautiful, beautiful part of the world. And I was like, you know, it's summer, it's 30 degrees. What's that? 30, that's yeah, like 95 degrees Fahrenheit. It's like 95. I'm living on this lake, looking at these snow mountains while you're in 95 degrees heat. I'm like, wow, this place is special. So I'm 16 years old at this time. And I was like, I want to live on this lake one day. So anyway, we fast forward like you know 20 years i actually purchased a house on the lake which was my dream you know living there and this resort was my local so there's a pub restaurant there's stuff like that so we got to know the owners over time and we were talking and they'd you know they'd had some life transitions and they were like yeah i think we're ready to retire so they went out of chat with them and we did some creative strategies so again you know it wasn't a just here's the money buy out we did a vendor take back on the mortgage we did some private lending on the down payments um, we did some joint venturing on some of the properties within the property just to raise some capital at the start of COVID there. So we, we had to get really creative to make the deal work. But um, everybody was looking for something. And it was just, what do you need? What do we need? What are we looking for? And then make that puzzle fit. Um, and everyone walked. But it's funny because this pub was the first place I ever had an alcoholic drink in my life as a 16-year-old on holiday. And the people who we bought the resort off were who served me underage. <laughs> that, that pub. So it's quite serendipitous that I'm now a Brit that owns the first pub that I ever got drunk in. But, but it was just, and then for value add, yes. it was run as a family operation, which served them for the life that they had. You know, it, the, the cash flow was good, the business was good, the hours that they put in. And for me, it was more of a life switch. You know, real estate helped me live a life or achieve things in life that I wouldn't have had if I just had a job. 
Yeah. Now I'm looking at what do I want to do for the next 10 to 20 years in my lifestyle? I don't need to keep chasing anymore. Um, you know, realistically, we could probably sell everything and never have to work again. Um, and it was a nice place to be, but I found I was always what's next, what's next, what's next. And I was speaking with one of my coaches and he's like, well, why are you doing this? And I was like, well, because that's what you got to do. He's like, why? And it was, you know, the, like the two-year-old question, why, 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 why? And then it got down to it. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I actually just want to, like this summer, you know, I'd take groups out, 17 people in the surf boat for the day. We'd have the music playing. We're teaching people how to wake surf. It's, you know, beautiful weather. And I'm like, this is the life I want to live. So this piece of real estate, which is, is what it is, it's a real estate deal, allows me to live a life that I want to lead. It's not going, it's going to fund the life. It's going to pay for the, you know, the daily expenses. I wouldn't have bought a surfboat if I didn't own the resort. Now I bought a surfboat, it pays for itself for us taking groups of people out. So it's always, how can I make something pay for itself? And the resort pays for the life. It gives us time as well, which, you know, as you know, in, as you get further on in your careers, whatever it is, time becomes more and more valuable. So yeah. now we get six months off a year. Like I'm in two weeks, I'm going to the UK for a whole month. And I would never have been able to do that in a job. So now I've got a whole month. I go to spend family. We're not, I haven't had to save for two years to go have a trip for a month. You know, it's, so it, it's nice that this is what this is now able to afford us. Um, it is a challenge though, because it was, you know, the, the oldest cabin on here is a hundred years old next year. So there was lots of what we coined the term as deferred maintenance and um, so we took on the, and we just, you know, we could see the room for expansion. We could see the room for improvement. We knew what locals wanted because we were those locals and they just wanted good beer on tap and good food in the pub. So we delivered that. We then took the business online so we could start marketing online. Whereas before it was mostly repeat business that would just come back and they'd walk through the door and then take a houseboat out. We want people booking six months in advance so we can improve the cash flow of the business and then create a true business. So we looked at little things that we could improve. A simple thing in the business, it owns five acres of land. They used to come down and park right on the edge of the lake, take all the waterfront up with cars. So we cut some trees down at the top of the property, created a gravel park or a grass parking lot, not even gravel. Now we charge for parking. We made $20,000 last year just for parking in two months. So that kind of thing, you know, that's an extra 20 grand dropping into the business that was not there for the previous 30 years. So, I mean, the previous owners built an amazing business. So, you know, it was nice that we were able to take something on that was already at a point without having to, because to drive it up from zero to where they got it to, I don't think that would have happened with COVID. A major lesson Gary has learned along his journey is having a strong operating agreement. As he calls it, his operating agreements or operating disagreements are for when things are going bad, not when things are going great. Operating agreements are used to clarify things between partners and to make sure everyone is on the same page. There's been a few failures along the way for sure. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that I would say to anyone starting is make sure what, whatever you do, you have it in paperwork, in an agreement, so you don't end up down the line unable to get out of or, you know, or having to walk away from a situation that you know, costs you money, time, energy. Um, for me, you know, I was in a joint venture on my personal residence and the agreements we had were kind of just a backup to the handshake that we had. And when we were exiting that, 
we probably ended up losing about a hundred thousand dollars and the stress of having to go through lawyers in the process of everything else that's going on it was just you know it that was probably a big lesson and i've done it time and time again i'm a very trusting person but and so the people i go in business with but people hear what they want to hear they might have misinterpreted how something was said so that's why it's important to get everything in paperwork and it's you know we use joint venture agreements but someone coined the phrase best for me called it's not an agreement it's a joint venture disagreement that's what the paper's for for when you disagree you can go okay well what does the paper say and it doesn't have to be big legal speak it can be plain english of what the intent is of how you do things you know what happens if someone dies gets divorced goes bankrupt you know has kids you know doesn't want to do the business anymore wants out in out all these kind of things can be written in a plain sentence so my biggest nugget if you're going into that route you know of raising capital joint ventures is sit with the people you're speaking to say make a list of what ifs like think of the craziest that could go wrong write that down and then right now where we're all feeling good we're going to figure out a solution for that and then we'll figure out what that solution will be moving forward if we'll write it into the agreement in a simple sentence we'll all sign it and like hey that's what we're doing yeah so, yeah, yeah that, that would be the biggest tip i think for someone getting started and that's been the most costly emotionally and financially for me over time is not having the right paperwork from early deals i mean yeah. we never lost money but it's still you know it hurts because it's it, it damages relationships that shouldn't have been if we were more clear on the paperwork. According to Gary, real estate can either be your life or support your life. For him, real estate has empowered him to live a life by his own design. And now his investments serve and support the lifestyle he desires. There's two things of real estate. You can either have a life that is involved in real estate or have a life that is supported by real estate. And there's not one right or wrong. For me, I was in a, in a job. I mean, I'm an electrical engineer by trade. I was working in HVAC stuff as a contractor. That's what I got into Canada on. And I just thought, I don't want to do this till I'm 60 years old. So I transitioned my skills across to working in real estate. That's, you know, I was, I was doing the maintenance, the handyman. We were buying houses, renovating them. I was doing the work myself. Um, so I was busy in real estate. So I still had a job, but I just controlled it. And that freed up, that gave me flexibility and income. Whereas before you just have income and no flexibility. Then I ended up with flexibility and income. Then the, what we created within real estate gave me more choices. Let's just say more choices. And that allowed me to choose where I want to go with my life. And now real estate helps support the life I want to live. It's not the life that I am living, if that makes sense. And um, We've got an exercise. We work with a lot of our like coaching clients, stuff when we're talking with people, and it's called the perfect day. What does your perfect day look like? And for me, I'll give you a quick synopsis. It's getting up in the morning. It is, you know, not having to get up and go do something straight away. It's choosing to get up at what time I want to get up, relaxing into the day, which means having a coffee. You know, I don't want to be rushed in the morning because then my whole day is rushed. So I'll relax. About 10 o'clock is when I usually start doing business type work stuff. Um, and then lunch, I want to go for lunches with people that I enjoy having the company with. In the afternoon, I want to do a soul filling activity, whether that's skiing, wakeboarding, wake surfing, riding my dirt bike, whether that's helping out at the local community, whether that's volunteering, doesn't matter what that is, something that nourishes you in the afternoon. On an evening, I want to go out with good friends, again, eat good food in nice places, enjoy. And I can do this anywhere in the world, <laughs> this, you know, this business, I want to be able to do it anywhere in the world. And then spend some quality time with, you know, 
my other half in my life on an evening and then repeat that over and over. That to me is, if I've got a hundred people knocking on my door because I'm dealing with property management stuff, I can't live that day. So that was the choice why we got rid of the property management company because it, it didn't support the day. And it was just like, okay. So even though it created an opportunity for me to get through real estate, it wasn't what I wanted to do for the next 20 years. So if anyone's wondering how real estate will be in their life, create your perfect day and then look at what you're doing with real estate. And does, does it match? Otherwise, you'll get 10, 15 years into real estate because you're always chasing. You're always after the next deal, the next thing, the next whatever it is. But if you haven't already figured out your perfect day, you could do 10, 15 years, create a huge amount of equity, wealth, and you haven't lived a fulfilled life. And it's, it's such a shame because you could be using real estate to do that along the way. Simple one this year. Here's an example of what we did. Two years ago, we got our company. And my daughter-in-law is our company. We all like snowboarding, skiing, and stuff like that up here. So I was like, you know what? Our company should be buying us a season pass every year. And it was like, why have we not done this for the last 10 years? You know, I mean, So now, as a reward for our work through the year, our company buys us season passes to this. And we take a couple of days off during the week. Because why do we want to go when it's busy on a weekend? We'll just go up during the week because we can. And we get to enjoy the mountain, which is part of my perfect days. You know, I leave those days and I feel great coming down. I've just had a great day. I've, I've done exercise, been fun. I've had a face full of snow. It's, it's like amazing days. And, and that's what real estate should be doing. It should be supporting all those little things. Because if you get a house that makes, even a single property that makes 80 bucks a month. Okay, you know what? You've got a th- close to a thousand bucks at the end of the year. What are you going to do with that thousand bucks? Sure, at the start, you're going to want to, you know, reinvest and all that kind of stuff make sure you've got an emergency pot but once you've got all those things ticked start to use that to support things you want to do that might be a holiday that could be a trip to hawaii it could be going to booking the next three concerts that you want to go to over the air if you love me like doesn't matter what it is do something with it um, and then you'll start to really realize the benefits of what real estate can do for you otherwise you can get to 40 50 60 years old have a huge portfolio and pass away and you haven't lived Moving forward, Gary plans to remove himself from his new business. He also aims to continue buying property and building his portfolio. The new business that we just bought, which is, you know, obviously we've got rental houses on here, Airbnbs, cabins, all that kind of stuff, the the houseboats. My vision is to get that business to a point where I no longer have to be in it. So, you know, we're currently putting in systems processes, building the team, um, which we think is about three, four years to build that. And then we can take a step back from that and just work on the business, which we can work on from a distance, and then also take six months off a year to do those soul-filling activities. So that's my vision now for real estate. Um, I'm also still buying real estate, and we are doing joint ventures with people, but that's more selective versus a necessity. You know, if opportunities come along, we bought a Sikh temple the other day. It was an opportunity that came along, and it was just... You know, my realtor message went, hey, I've got this interesting property. He told me what, you know, the zoning was, what it's allowed to be and everything else. And I was like, you know what? Write the offer. Done. Full asking price. That makes sense to me. And because now we're in a position and we've, we've got a network of people, we knew we could jump on that opportunity. So now I'm not digging, chasing. I've got people bringing opportunities to me. And it allows us to cherry pick, you know, pick the low hanging fruit and the ones that are interesting, that, you know, motivate me to actually go do something. Um, Because I'm not going to sit and do nothing. Like, I would get so bored. I'm just not one of those people. But I want to choose when and how I do it. Education is an important part of an investor's journey. But without putting it into action, education is useless. 
Investors like Gary understand the value of education, but are also able to put it into action. It doesn't matter what you're doing, where you're at, what your knowledge is, go and take action on whatever it is that you know or think you know today. Take action because action will, te- will give you a result. And if you don't like the result, you change the action that you did. That's it. There's, there's no, you know, crazy. if you go on one of these real estate courses and they teach you something, go take action on it. If you read a book, go and take action on that book. If, you know, lots of books have download sections in them, go download the stuff, do the exercises. If, um, you know, if you listen to this, this podcast and there's something you want to go do around real estate, reach out to, connect to, even if it's just going to find somebody who's already investing in real estate, take them for lunch. Ask if you can just pick their brain and buy them lunch. Offer to donate 200 bucks to their favorite charity. If, they'll, if, you're, if they'll let you take them to lunch, offer to donate some money to their favorite charity. And just be like, I just want 20 minutes of your time. And people are happy, successful people are happy to share. Always, always share the information. As you know, that's why I do the podcast. I'm sure you have an abundance of people want to come on because you know what? It's, there is an abundance out there, but taking action, physically going and doing something, stop gathering more knowledge, go take action on the knowledge that you've already got, then get the results, then change your knowledge based on the results. To learn more about Gary, you can go here. The easiest ones for us is we have a YouTube channel, Revenue, R-E-V-N-Y-O-U, which we are, we get a lot of views on that. We have, you know, I forget now, 7,000 subscribers or something, but we are just starting to modernize the content post COVID now. So we're actually going to do a joint venture series, which, you know, people have no money. We're going to be speaking to the people we're with, asking them why they chose us, what they look for, the types of properties we're doing. And we're, that's going to be coming up pretty soon. And then obviously they can reach out to our website, R-E-V-N-Y-O-U, revenue.com. And there's a little test on there as well that you can click on and it'll actually point you in the right direction of the resources. So it'll tell you, you know, go to the podcast, go to links, go to the YouTube, or, you know, if you're at a certain level, you might be ready for coaching, something like that. So um, I think as well, networking, like not just with myself, you know, I know you said how do people reach me, but network locally to where you are and where you want to invest. We have access to the world through the digital media right now um, where we can literally cross continents and invest across, across the world. Um, the world is literally at your fingertips. So go take some action on it. And uh, yeah, good luck on your journey. And any questions I can help people, anyone you speak to, they'll tell you I'm, I'm glad to help when I can. Obviously, you know, we are busy, but we, we do try and help as much as possible. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. If you got value from this episode, please do us a favor and give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. If you want to avoid the top five mistakes passive investors make, you can also check out our free ebook by going to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com and downloading it. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Until then, take care, guys.